Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, welcome to Redemption. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. I want to personally welcome you. A little bit about Redemption. We are one church. We have multiple congregations, and so what that means, we have a congregation uh, in Gateway, a congregation in Gilbert, a congregation um, in Arcadia, and then we also launched our congregation uh, as a church plan in Flagstaff last week, which went really well. I think I shared that with you guys. Uh, they had about 120 people there, and two people came to know Jesus for the first time. So just really, uh, really praise to what God's doing there. On, on, on that note, uh, Tim Anderson, who's been here since day one, the day that Praxis, which is what Redemption Tempe used to be, the day that it opened was eight years ago today, this Sunday. So it's been eight years that we've been uh, a congregation, yeah. Uh, so with that, just, just excited for, for that good news and excited for what God's doing. I just want to kind of give you guys some, uh, some so what's and what's coming over the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, we are going to take a week off on the series, and so a week off of uh, 1 Peter, and we're going to have just a Redemption Tempe focus. And so um, if you guys are not aware, what we do as Redemption Wide is we get together about 10 days before we teach the text and months before we teach through a book of the Bible to decide what we're going to teach through so that every congregation, we're on the same page, same scripture. Uh, we've kind of been off in Tempe. Primarily, week, last week we combined week six and seven for week six. Um, this week would technically be week eight, but it's week seven because we're going to take next Sunday off to talk about Tempe um, and to get an opportunity for you guys to do something that we don't normally get an opportunity to do, and that is to meet all the elders. And so next Sunday uh, would be a different service. Um, I'll teach for about 10 minutes, which means 20. Um, and so we'll have a shorter, shorter, shorter message that way and in, invite all the elders up and have you guys have an opportunity to get to know them. Um, I'll Q&A them, ask them some questions uh, so that you can get to know them, their wives, their families, uh, the leaders of this church, um, as well as those who are on staff. And so I really invite you guys to be here. And we're also going to give a preview of where we're going next semester uh, or next year for um, for our, for, our, for our season, for our church, uh, give a six-week vision of what we're going to be doing, um, a six-week vision series in January of where we're heading as a congregation. And so what that means for building, what that means for families and so forth, we'll give a preview to that next Sunday. So make sure you're here next Sunday. It's going to be a great opportunity, a fun time for us to celebrate um, as a congregation. So I want to personally invite you to that. Uh, just one announcement I have. We have First Wednesdays coming, uh, coming up for November. It's going to be November 7th, and you don't want to miss this one. Um, the topic that we have is going to be immigration, which for us in Arizona um, is a big topic. Uh, we were blessed to be able to have what I believe the best people to address this topic that were willing to come address this. When we talked about we wanted to do it, uh, we wanted to get some, some guys who were very, very knowledgeable about it to be able to talk about the issue politically, to talk at it through the gospel, uh, to talk through the intricacies of it, and um, we were fortunate to do that. Now, one of that is, one of those guys is Tyler Johnson, who is the lead pastor of All Redemption, who you guys have seen before teach here. He actually just wrote... Um, a, a paper on it that's going to be submitted and be posted next week or the week after on the Gospel Coalition website. Um, I don't know if you read Christianity Today, which is a magazine, but they did an article on Phoenix, um, primarily in this issue of immigration, um, and they interviewed a kid who's an undocumented resident here who's a Christian. Um, that kid is here, um, and he wants to be a part of it, um, as well as some several other people that are going to host a panel on um, immigration. So November 7th, from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. here, there will be food and there will be child care. We invite all of you to be here for this, this topic and so that we can discuss it as a congregation. So I want to invite you to that. 
Um, that's all I have for our time of announcements. So um, this is what I want you to do. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I brought up Oye, who was a pastoral resident, um, and we explained what pastoral residents are. A pastoral resident are men who have gone through ministry, who have been a part of ministry, who have a desire to find another means of support, whether raising support, but to be a part of redemption for their last phase before they go on to either planning churches or being on staff at other churches or maybe even being on a staff here. Um, and we talked about Oye. Oye came from L.A., and he's here. Um, and, we, and I mentioned to you a man by the name of Benjamin Jensen, who was moving in from Minneapolis. Well, Benjamin and his wife Lacey and their daughter Zoe have uh, moved here, and so he's here with us for the first Sunday. So I'm going to bring him up for a second. Would you guys welcome him on stage? All right, man. Well, first of all, welcome to Arizona. Welcome to Tempe. Thank you. We're very glad to be here. Um, tell us, um, I mean, I've said your name already, but tell us a little about yourself, uh, what you've been doing for the past three years, and kind of what brought you out here to uh, the desert in October, coming from Minnesota. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm a Minnesota boy, so I'm used to about three months of nice weather, and then the rest nine months being less than nice. And so, you know, when we were praying about, Lord, really take us to a place where we can suffer, uh, Arizona, just, you know, that nine months of beautiful weather and three months of bad weather, like, felt like, well, yeah, we could do that, I think. Yeah. So, um, and, and we came in October, so, like, we can kind of coast in easily, which is funny, because I think 15 people have told me, you came at the right time and just wait for summer. That's not, <laughs> not getting 15 in, like, four days. Where does a badge of honor? Um, tell us kind of what you've been doing, um, your ministry experience, uh, just kind of so we can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, um, I just graduated from a seminary program up in Minneapolis at a place called Bethlehem College and Seminary. Uh, I've been a member, I was a member at Bethlehem Baptist Church for about 12 years, uh, and then went into that seminary program, which is in the church. So that was just May, I graduated, and uh, very thankful to be a part of that church and part of that program, and grew hugely in my faith through those last, this like, last decade. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I've been getting a chance to meet and talk to Benjamin over the past several months, primarily through FaceTime, Google Hangout, and we finally got to meet each other um, in real life. It was weird, right? Um, and meeting his wife. But not only do you have pastoral skills and then you have a desire for ministry, you have a background in graphic designs. And if you could just tell us your, that what you told me the other day when we were hanging out about the gospel and graphic design. Just to, I just thought that that was profound, and I think it fits in the culture of what we're trying to accomplish here at Redemption. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the, the term is aesthetics, you know, things like the way things look or the way things sound. And a lot of times in my experience, Christians, kind of hardcore Christians, say it doesn't matter what it looks like or what it feels like or what it sounds like. It's just all about the words themselves. And um, I think in, in my life and in my experience, you don't have to choose one or the other. The, the gospel seasons everything. The gospel in, embraces and redeems everything because that's the power of God. And it does it for aesthetics too. And so in design, uh, my definition of good design is the effective communication of information. And my argument for good design and good aesthetics is that the gospel is the most important information in the universe. Therefore, we want to communicate that effectively yeah. and that's why it's it matters how a, ba a band sounds these guys are awesome by the way and i'm kind of a music snob and so that's uh i, I love that and just and and how the place looks and and, and just clarity on the gospel so that's that's where i come from cool. on some of that stuff yeah 
Well, we're glad to have you. Um, you guys can meet Benjamin and his wife, Lacey. Take them out to eat. Get to meet them. They moved in. Ironically, they moved into the lakes. And so if you're familiar with the lakes in Tempe, they said, we want something like home. And I'm like, that's not like the Great Lakes. Um, we made that. <laughs> like, it's like, we made that. But they're around. They're here in Tempe. Uh, we're going to get a chance to have them for a while. And um, even as a pastoral team, we're just getting to know them and very blessed for, for him and his knowledge, his information, and his desire to pastor people. And so, again, get to know Benjamin. Uh, he loves to go by Benjamin and only Benjamin. We made that clear. Uh, so we'll, we'll call him some nicknames later. I'm not in front of you guys. So would you guys join me in uh, praying pray for Benjamin and Lacey and uh, their two-year-old Zoe? Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus, and how he builds the church and how you are constantly growing men and women uh, to, to lead and to serve and to be witnesses, faithful witnesses of the gospel. And so, Father, I thank you for Benjamin and for Lacey and for their travel to uh, submit to you, to listen to you, the call to bring them here with us in Tempe. Lord, it's been a blessing um, just getting to know them in this brief time, and I just pray for your, your special anointing and presence upon them as they continue to do ministry throughout the city. I just pray that you would place a direct call in his life, that you give him clarity and vision and what it is that you are calling him to do, and that we as a family would be able to embrace him, to be able to walk with him and walk alongside him um, as a church. And Father, as we transition to your word right now, we ask that your word, um, as you promised that it would do, would not return void, but it would water our hearts. And so, Father, as we hear about you and talk about you, Father, we ask that you would impress upon us the truth of scripture. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, would you guys thanks Benjamin again? That sound oh, okay. Uh, pastor Ryan Elin, uh, Ryan Arneson, who's one of the pastors here, unfortunately uh, had an infection in his foot, and it's something that started on Friday, and he was here leading some guys this morning, so um, he just had to go immediately to the hospital. So would you guys join with me right now in praying for Ryan as... Um, he's got an infection. His foot was swelling up and a lot of pain, and so they're going to the hospital now. So uh, would you bow your heads and let's pray for him. Father, we pray for Ryan and Janet and their kids. And, and Father, we, we, don't, we're not, we don't know what's going on with his foot, but we know you do, and we pray that you'd be with the doctors, Lord. God, I pray for just even the travel over there, Lord, to, to, that you would just provide comfort for him. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd provide healing and just an understanding of what's happening with his foot. And God, we are in these moments, Lord, reminded of, Lord, how desperate and dependent we are upon you. And so in that, Lord, in that same vein, I pray for everyone here who's suffering, Lord, physically. I pray for marriages that are, that are hurting, for our singles, Lord, who are hurting, for people who are questioning, people who are doubting all the things that are effects of sin, Lord, of our separation from you. God, what we need desperately, Lord, is the power of the gospel. We need the restorative power of the gospel in relationships. We need the healing power of the gospel in our souls and our bodies and our minds. And Father, we need the hope of the gospel, Lord, to, to get through days like this, to get through weeks like this, to get through a life, Lord, in which we cannot see you and yet we trust and believe in you. And so, God, I pray that you would show forth your presence, Lord, not only in Ryan's life, but in the, in the life of our, our people here, your people. For those who believe in you and those who have yet come to know you. So God, I pray that today would be a day of celebration, but also a day of remembering um, that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we pray collectively with the Apostle John, come Lord soon. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys have your Bibles, why don't you meet me in 1 Peter? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we are in week 
7 of our series in 1 Peter, and uh, we've been tracking along with this letter that Peter wrote uh, to the the group of people uh, that were scattered out in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, And now as we transition to, um, he's he's been talking about submission. Last week we talked about submission of all God's people to, uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible, I'm sorry. If you don't have a Bible, keep your hand raised really high. One of the guys will be able to get you a copy. If you don't own a Bible, keep the one that we give you. It's yours. So we've been talking about submission to government and authority, whether they're Christian or not. Um, Submission in, in the sense of the context of how we submit to those who are employers. And then now Peter, um, in that same vein, in pointing to Jesus, who willingly submitted to the Father, even to the point of death, in order to redeem a people, in essence, he unpacks the gospel truth as our example of how we are to live. And then he transitions now in talking about particularly to women and into men. And so this morning, we will talk about women. And now, I think it's not just women in marriage, but it's also women in, in particular. So single women as well as married women. And three attributes that I believe that Peter draws out here of a woman. Just, they're not exhaustive, but three attributes we're going to look at is one is submissiveness, which, hold on, we're going to get to that, all right? I know some of you, as soon as you heard that, you, the, the hairs on your neck stood up. Some of you, not, not, not the women, not that you... Um, have hairs in the back of your neck, right? So submissiveness and then attractiveness. Every single guy was like, yeah, talk about that. Um, And then lastly, faithfulness. And so again, this is going to be for married women as well as single women. And guys, this is why you should listen. One, if you're a guy here, you're married um, or you're not married. And so either you're married to a woman or you're not married to a woman, and chances are you want to be married to a woman, and so we'll give you some things you should look for. So I do believe that Peter gives us some, some, some good, uh, a good picture of godly women in this if we would be willing to, to listen. And so uh, a lot that we have to unpack, and so we'll get into that. So again, it's going to be submissiveness, attractiveness, and faithfulness. Here's what Peter says, chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Let me pause there for a second. Um, we got to unpack some of this stuff because we know as soon as we talk about be subject or be submissive, there, there are cultural misunderstandings of this particular text. In the same way, last week when we looked at slavery, we had to spend some time unpacking what did the Bible talk about with slavery and what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? Well, what is Peter saying? Is this something that's regressive? This is 2012. Well, first, chapter 3, verse 1, it starts off with saying, likewise. So Peter is connecting to a few things. He's saying um, there's submissiveness of us too. We, uh, as people of God, we submit to whoever it is in government. Uh, we submit to our bosses. And then he points to Jesus. And he gives this godly example of Jesus who was speechless, though reviled, who was beaten yet went to the cross. And he says in the same way that we, that we see Jesus, in the same way that we of all God's people are, submiss- are submissive, that there is submission within the context of marriage. Now, now I, I want to unpack this culturally first and foremost to the context of which Peter first wrote this letter. Because when Peter wrote this letter, there was a clash between three different cultures. You had the Jewish culture, the Roman culture, as well as the Greek culture. And every single one of those cultures were unbelievably sexist. And that women and slaves, particularly, were people who were on the bottom rung of this cultural hierarchy. And so you had slaves, and below slaves, excuse me, you had women, and just below women were slaves. And all three of these cultures, they treated women as inferior. And so here's what the Greeks thought. The Greeks said, essentially, their saying was, a woman is best if she's not heard, she's not seen, 
and she doesn't ask any questions. And then you have the Roman culture, the way that they treated their daughters, the way they treated their women, no matter what age, they treated them like children. This was something of a way of a law that a, a young woman had to be under her father's care, not for him just to love her and to serve her and care for her, but he, he was, she was essentially his child forever. And then if that woman got married, that she just now became essentially a child of her husband, that she was to do whatever it was her husband says to do. And then unfortunately, even the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture who even had the scriptures, um, they did not, not in response to God, they did not treat women well. Um, there was often prayer that a Jewish man would pray daily, and he would say, thanks be to God that you didn't make me a woman. Thanks be to God that you didn't make me a Gentile, someone who's not a Jew, or an ignorant man, meaning these are like the worst things that you could ever make me, Lord. I'm thankful that you didn't make me that. That was their prayer. They, they didn't get it. But nowhere in Scripture did it ever say to treat women like that. And so when we get into the issue right here of being submissive, we need to understand what Peter is saying. Peter is talking to women, primarily here, women who were married to husbands who were not Christian. Meaning women who had heard the gospel, believed in Jesus, and now they were in a relationship with a man who did not believe the gospel. What are they to do? Because in that culture, for a woman, you had to take upon the friends of your husband, no matter what. And the closest friendship was a friendship with the gods. And so for a woman to have a different faith was completely counterculture. And so what Peter says is, one, what the gospel does, it trumps every single other worldview. It doesn't put women higher, than, women higher than they should be, and it definitely doesn't put them lower, but it puts them in equality with men. And the apostle Paul says the same things. In Christ Jesus, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, slave or free, man or woman. He, he's not in no means saying that there's not distinctive roles, there's not unique roles within marriage. He's saying that there's absolutely equality. Um, so what that means is ontologically, or in essence, men and women are the same. However, there's different functions and there's different roles when it comes to submission. Um, I believe in the Bible. The Bible teaches not only are we all as Christians to be submissive, but women and men have in marriage have mutual submission. Now, I need to explain what I mean by that. When I say mutual submission, there is a parallel passage from 1 Peter in chapter 3 that's also in Ephesians chapter 5. And when I say mutual submission, it means that when Paul talks to women, he says, women, you are to be like Jesus in the way that he submitted to the Father. And then it says, husbands, now, men, you are to be like Jesus in the way that he laid down his life. And so when I say mutual submission, it means that you were constantly putting the other person's needs, desires, and interests before yours. And so submission is never the husband going, ah, submit? Oh, this, I love this submissive stuff. Give me the remote, right? That's not, that's not it. You don't get to pick the color of the car just because you're the dude in the family. That's not it at all. Um, it does not mean that there's intellectual inequality, that women are not smarter. And in fact, our culture, we just assume that women are smarter. Maybe, right? There's, <laughs> a lot of them are. There are things that I can do that my wife can't do, and there's things that my wife can do that I can't do. Um, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sense where me and Holly, we complement one another. That's what the Bible talks about. And I believe that if we ever got to the point where many are going now, that there's no difference between men and women in the sense of functions and roles, what we've created is a third sex, meaning a sex that the Bible never, never says. There, there are men and there are women. I just think we need to be very, very careful with defining biblical roles with our cultural context. So submission always in the Bible is out of a position of strength because it starts first with marriage resembling, reflecting the character of God, the nature of God. 
in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're equal. In essence, they're, they're equal, and yet they have different roles. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. They function in different ways. And my personal opinion, the way that Satan attacks God's people, and it has been from the beginning of creation, has been through marriage. And I will make this statement, as marriages go, so goes culture. And even in the New Testament, you see why Peter and Paul want to address marriage, because as marriage goes, so goes your church. And, and, and I'm not saying as the church goes, a good church produces good marriages. No, good marriages produce healthy churches. Let me back up for a little bit. In the very beginning, when God created the world, he created Adam, he created Eve to enjoy one another. They were with one another. They were walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. God says, this is what I do. I will give you volition. That means the ability to choose. You can choose me, which would, life would be forever and joy and constant happiness. Or if you eat of this particular tree, there will be sin. Fast forward, there's a serpent in the garden. He's talking to the woman. And the woman and the men at this particular woman, uh, moment, Adam and Eve, they both abdicate their responsibilities, their God-given roles, inequality to complement one another when there was an opportunity of sin. And so as Eve makes the decision, listening to the serpent, to bite from the fruit, it says that her husband, Adam, was standing right next to her, meaning he didn't do anything. He didn't protect her. He didn't lead her. He wasn't supposed to say, hey, I'm the man. Let me tell you what to do. No, but she was supposed to as his God-given authority of leadership and his role as a husband, to ask him that they would come together and make a decision on this. So he passively allowed her to do it, and then what he did is he just sent along with her. And, and, and in that moment, you have what you have is dysfunction in the marriage, and because of dysfunction in the first marriage, we are in the predicament that we're in now in this world. That's why I say as marriage goes, so goes the culture. And so when Peter and when Paul begin to write about biblical submission, this has nothing to do with man dominating the woman. In fact, um, why this was really hard for me as a Christian, first and foremost, when I became a Christian, my, my mom was the leader of my family. In fact, I tell people this all the time. The reason why I, I have a hard time with, with men who preach submission in this, in this dominant way, they usually come from households and they usually come from families where they probably had men who led or at least men who dominated but in my community, in my family, the women were our leaders. We had no men leaders. In fact, I've been saying this forever, is that, that sister's been holding it down in the hood for a minute. <laughs> That's Ebonics for saying um, African-American women have been doing a great job of leading their families in the Bible, right? <laughs> there, there, there's, there, there, there's a sense there. So it was really hard for me to look at this and go, why should a woman ever submit? And even, even more so, um, this particular passage, talking about women to men who are um, not Christians, this was my family. My mom was a believer in Jesus Christ, and my dad wasn't. And I watched pastors, I believe, take this text and do wrongdoing to women. In fact, it's happened for centuries and years for husbands, um, excuse me, pastors, when they hear about women who were suffering under unjust, brutal, abusive, verbally, emotionally, sexually men, they just say, go home and submit. That's not what the Bible teaches about submission. Submission, first and foremost, is not putting your husband in the position of Christ. Uh, submission is, is not you just have to do whatever your husband tells you to do. Um, submission is not inconsistent with biblical equality of us being like Christ. Uh, submission in itself, being like Jesus, is always out of a position of strength. In fact, the words here, hear me now, women, the word here, be subject. Um, the tense here in the Greek, it's passive. So what that means is, it's not you trying to be submissive, 
but it's you trusting in Jesus. You are the, you are the recipient of this. You, it's passive. It's as you walk in a constant relationship with Jesus, as you trust in his word, as you trust in his life, as you look to the verses we read last week of his, his loving, selfless, sacrificial death on your behalf, um, it is him working through you that allows you to be submissive. It's not you giving up anything of your identity. If anything, it's what Jesus is drawing more um, out of you of who you are called to be in Christ. That it's always a position of strength. In fact, it's voluntary, selfless, sacrificial love for your husband. It's not doing what your husband tells you to do. It's trusting and resting, resting in Jesus and doing what he tells you to do in the context of your marriage. Amen? This, this, this is what Peter begins to unpack here. says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Um, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, so here is he saying, this is an attribute that when mindful of Jesus Christ as a woman within marriage, um, as, as mindful of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you may be married to men that do not believe in Jesus. And he says, don't nag them. Um, the submission that he calls here is that you still love him. You're still, you still serve him. You're still equal with him. You, you, you still adore him. There's relationship. He's saying, don't get out of the relationship just because you're a Christian. He says, it may be by your conduct that they will be one. Peter by no means is saying that you're never supposed to share the gospel. Uh, the implication here, it, it says that they do not obey the word. The implication there is that they've heard it and they've rejected it. You do not need to be preaching the gospel to your husband every day. Don't nag him. Love him. This, this, this application goes more broad than that. It's to us as men and women with our friends who are unbelievers, with our mothers and fathers and roommates who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Do not nag them. Do not bother them. What, what Peter is saying is trust in God's sovereignty. Trust that they've heard the gospel and let them see your conduct. By no means is Peter telling a woman here, and I have to tackle this, no, no, is Peter telling a woman just to never talk? That, that silence means you never speak, you never speak up? No, no, no. A woman has to speak up in her marriage. A, a man needs to speak up in his marriage. That they come to agreement on things. I cannot make decisions apart from my wife. I don't just get to come home and say, this is what we're going to do today because I said so because I'm the man. Because if I'm looking at my biblical role as a husband, what I'm doing like Jesus did is he completely gave up the comforts of heaven and he laid his life down for his wife, providing a context for her to willingly serve and submit to my God-given authority. So Peter is not saying that a woman cannot speak up here. What he's saying is don't, don't nag them. Trust in God's work in your life and trust in God's work in his life. And he says it is through this that they may be able to come to know him. And when it says silent too, don't, don't, it's not silent treatment. It's not silent treatment that, that you just ignore them because they're not Christian. It's not that. Um, and, and lastly, again, there's another parallel passage here. And it's in 1 Corinthians. And Paul talks about men and women who are married to Christians, who are, excuse me, people who are not Christians. You're a Christian, your husband's not. And he says this, stay with them. He says, don't leave them, stay with them, love them, care for them. Men and women, care for them. And it says now, if they decide to leave, it is okay. The Bible teaches it is okay for them to leave. If they decide to divorce you, you are free to remarry. I, I, he's not saying pray for that. He's saying that that just may be. 
that they are so at odds with your God, they are so at odds with what God is doing in and through you that they want to leave the marriage. Now, this passage, personally for me, has been abused. Because what we've told women is, if your husband is beating you, just submit. No, 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 no. Um, Just because it says don't leave, it doesn't mean that you need to stay in that particular house. Um, it doesn't mean that you need to put your children under that particular abuse. And, and, and submission in itself, men have taken that, again, to physically abuse women, um, um, even sexually. You see, sex and marriage is not whenever a guy has, quote-unquote, a biological need to be with his wife, it's not, okay, let's, let's go now. It doesn't work like that. Because sex, in a very gospel-centered way, is always me seeking the interest of my, of my, my spouse, that my joy is wrapped up in her pleasure. Her joy is wrapped up in my pleasure. It, it, it's not just in all of life. It's even in the bedroom. And there's a lot of men who use passages that Paul talks about, that the woman's body is not her own, but it's her husband, and the husband's body is not his own, meaning I get what I want from you whenever I want it. That's not what it says. There is a love and care and concern. The other part is, is again, it's physical abuse. Peter's going to talk about this when we get to the men, that men usually, generally, not all of you, are stronger than women, all right? Not all, usually, as a general, general term, are stronger than, than, than women. And it's saying sometimes when men don't get what they want in the marriage, that they will abuse their wives physically. Um, there are seasons that I think that are biblically okay for a woman to separate. She should not be under that particular harm. That's not what Peter's saying. He's not saying, get your face smashed in, and that's the way the gospel would go forth. Amen? That, that, that's, that's, just, that's just the Bible there. But he's saying, have a submissive presence around you as you look to Jesus out of a position of strength. Now, what does that mean for single women? What does it mean for the 60% of the women at this church that don't have husbands? A few words that I, that I would have from you from this text. First, uh, you, um, you do not need to submit to men. In fact, it says submit to your own husband. And so if you're married, submit to your husband. Um, if you're married, don't submit to somebody else's husband and don't just submit to men in general. It doesn't work like that. Um, and even in dating, if you're dating a guy and he says, well, I want to see if you're submission. No, 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 no. You tell him, no, 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 bro. It's not going down like that, right? No, no way does the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that to me. And so what, what, what does it say? The first couple things. One, you, because you're a Christian already, for those of you who believe in Jesus, you have an opportunity not to put yourself in the position that these particular women are in. Meaning you have an opportunity to date someone who loves Jesus. You have an opportunity to per- let someone pursue you who already loves Jesus so you don't put yourself in this position. First and foremost, um, this whole idea of evangel dating or flirt to convert, uh uh-uh, right? (laughs) Not worth it. Again, I grew up in a household where believing mom, unbelievable husband, but... Um, just, just unbelieving husband. And I'm telling you, my whole life was one foot in, one foot out. And it was hard. It was very hard. Very, very hard. So you have, you have an opportunity now not to put yourself in that position. I do not believe the Bible at all condones that people who have at, worldviews that are at odds, beliefs that are at odds to be, to be together. If Jesus is the most important thing in your life, he's the most important person in your life, and the gospel is central to all you do, marry someone that it's equally true about that. Marry someone that's equally true about that. So the other question is, okay, well, how as a woman who's not married, how do I begin to work on this attribute of submissiveness? Here, to Jesus. Love Jesus. Serve Jesus. What Peter is calling women to do is just to continue to live out their biblical identities in Christ Jesus. 
See, see what it is that Jesus says to do and do what he calls you to do. Love him. See what he's done on your behalf. That's how you grow. Are, are you sensitive to the scripture? Are you sensitive to the spirit? You don't have to put yourself around the context of men and go, I want to see if I'm submissive to this guy. If you're submissive to the ultimate man in Christ Jesus, you will be growing in that, that submission. And people can see that. You don't need to act submissive around a guy just to say, oh, man, you know what? It looks like he'd be submissive. No. Trust Jesus and follow Jesus. The, the first thing that he gives here, I think for married women as well as single women, is an ideal of submission, submission, but submission out of the context of strength and following Jesus. Then Peter <laughs> takes a turn to talking about not submission, um, but to beauty or attractiveness. Here's what he says. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so he talks about what is attractive in God's sight. First thing he says, he gives a negative imperative. He goes, listen, don't let your adorning. So your adorning there, it means how you gain um, people's approval, how you gain people's approval of you physically, how are they attracted to you. And he's saying, this this is the things I don't want you to do. He says, uh, don't let it be with braiding hair and putting on gold jewelry um, or the clothing you wear. Um, Let me tell you what he's not saying here. Peter is not saying that you should never braid your hair. Most of you don't anyway, other than when you go to Mexico or something. Um, it says, it, don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't say you shouldn't braid your hair. It doesn't say you shouldn't wear gold. I mean, some people take this literally, but not all the way literally. Meaning, because some people will say, well, I will never braid my hair, and I'll never wear gold. But that means you shouldn't wear clothes either. And I don't think that's what God's saying, right? So, so what is Peter saying in this moment? Peter is saying, don't let the externals be the most important. In Proverbs chapter 31, it talks about how beauty in itself is deceitful. It's very deceitful. It could trick you. It tricks men. It tricks women. In fact, in our culture, not just in our culture, clearly, even in Peter's culture, even when Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy, he says essentially the same thing, braided hair. What braided hair meant? It showed that you had money. It showed that you had privilege. It showed that you, you had the ability to do some things to make yourself look good. Peter's not saying that a woman shouldn't try to look beautiful. Hear me, wives, it is totally okay for you externally to want to look beautiful for your husband, to continue to grow in your attractiveness to your husband and your husband to you, that husbands should continue to pursue their wives and date their wives and fall in love with their wives again and again and again, and wives should continually to put themselves before their husbands. And husbands, notice it. It's okay to notice when your wife gets a haircut or when she grows her hair long. It's okay to go, you look good, girl. Like, there's a, it's okay for that. And in fact, that's encouraged. We see that in Song of Solomon. He's constantly praising his beautiful bride. That's something we should continue to do. And so we should, be, we should notice those things. I know for me as a guy, sometimes I don't notice anything. Um, hey, when'd you get that shirt? I've had this since high school. Holly has said that probably 20 times in our marriage. I'm like, well, I didn't know you in high school, All right? So it's new to me. We should, we, should, we should see those things. And so Peter's not saying that, that externally you should, you should not try to be attractive. He's saying, though, he is saying that um, that's, that's the easiest part. Meaning it, all you have to do is get some money. Um, all you have to do is go to a particular store, get particular surgeries, get whatever you need to do externally. He said you could do that. In fact, anybody can do that. What Peter calls us to, what the gospel always calls us to, is something that is impossible apart from God. And so when Peter says, do not let that be the way that you adorn yourself or the way that you find attractiveness, 
He says, but let your adorning be of the hidden person, the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. He's talking about inner beauty and not in the way that we use it on movies. He's saying genuine inner beauty. He's saying it is easy to look like that. It is easy to be attractive on the external side. It is easy to be tricked by that. You don't even need the Holy Spirit for that. But what you need the Holy Spirit for, what you need a complete love for the Lord for, is to understand that your identity is not on your externals, but your identity is what Christ has placed in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the beauty that he talks about here, this, this, this beauty that he says is precious in God's sight, is not something that we can do on our own, but something in which we submit to Jesus on a daily level. Meaning, married women, that you are constantly working on your relationship, your personal relationship with the Lord. That you are constantly submitting yourself to his glory, to his grace, to his mercy. That the inner beauty that he's working in you, it says it's gentle and it's silent. Single women, it, it's the same thing. That what makes you attractive, what makes you attractive, attractiveness that lasts here, is that you grow in a relationship with Jesus. And that you trust and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, it, it's hard. I know it. Because in every context, in every room, as soon as a girl walks in, all the guys looks at the, look at that girl. And guess what? So do all the girls. Everyone looks. And immediately, no one's going, man, she must pray a lot. Mm. Right? That, that, that never, never happens. That never happens. And so this is something that Peter is calling us to that is. It's, it's something that we need Jesus for. It's something that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, that we're looking for this. And guys, we should be looking for this. I, 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 I've told you the story how I met my wife and how she completely loved me at first sight. You guys know that. But there, when I first, well, it's not true. <laughs> when, I, when I first met Holly, um, when I became a Christian, I didn't know how to date, right? I didn't know how to, to date in the whole Christian world. I, I, was, I was a guy in college, and um, I didn't really have game in college, but it, you know, it was like college game, which is, hey, girl, what's up? My name is Ricardo. I play football at ASU. What's up? Right? It was just weak, right? <laughs> It was weak. I just, it was dumb. It was, it was usually, I would never talk to girls unless I had liquid courage, which some of you guys don't know what that is because you didn't go to ASU, which is totally fine. <laughs> and then when I became a Christian, there was a guy who discipled me who would talk about these particular passages, passages in 1 Peter, passages in Proverbs of the things we're looking for in women, which were really hard because you cannot see inner beauty. And so the way that you would observe this, the way that a guy would look at a woman like this, the way that a husband continue, continues to draw this out in his wife, the way a single guy looks for a woman like this, the way a wife continues to grow in this, and the way a single woman desires to grow in this, it's, it's how you serve. It's how you carry yourself. Being gentle here is an attribute of Jesus. It is not saying that you were weak. Um, being silent here is not, that again, that you don't say anything. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you just sit in a corner and wait for some godly guy to come scoop you up. That's probably not going to happen. When, 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 I, when I met Holly, um, my, this guy that I was just mentoring me, and I said, hey, I want to date this girl. Uh, she's working with me in this camp. I think she's really godly. And I told him who she was, and he knew her, and he goes, dude, she's out of your league. She's like a solid Christian. And I was like, what the? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean, right? So for two weeks, we got a chance to work next to one another, and I would say that she put herself in front of me, which is totally fine. She would say she didn't. Somebody's lying here. So, so we're, 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 and here's what I saw, no joke, I love my wife to, I, to death, is what I saw in my wife is the same thing I knew about my wife even before I was a Christian. 
When I met Holly in college before I was a Christian, all I knew about her was that she was a godly girl. I couldn't even tell you what godliness was other than she wasn't looking out for herself. She wasn't trying to draw attention to herself. And then when I became a Christian and I started to pursue her um, in complete rejection from my mentor at this time, um, was, was that she served. There was, there was a sense about her that she cared about people. I saw her open up the word and, and walk with other women. I saw this for two or three weeks, and I thought, that's wifey right there, right? And I had to figure it out from there. It was, it, it, that, 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 that to me, I'd never seen that before. And, and I'm convinced that some of our single people, that's not what we're looking for. We, we, we look for potential. Oh, my goodness. That's like the worst thing. Or does she have potential? Potential in what? Is she going to the NFL? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? <laughs> if there's potential that you're looking for, it's, does she love Jesus? Women, if you, if you, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful externally, but what Peter is saying is grow in your love for Jesus, and it is okay for you to place yourself in front of people. Um, it is okay to um, be in an RC for a particular reason, right? It, 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 I, I say it all the time. It's not that, that I'm saying that you should just go to RCs to date people. I'd much rather for you to meet people in our church than people, you know, at Casey Moore's or something like that. Rather, rather here. But the emphasis here is not dating. The emphasis here is not even married. The emphasis here is on women who know how to be attractive through the gospel. Women who understand what it means. When I was in college, the first time a guy talked to me about this particular woman, um, this guy said the worst acronym I've ever heard. But I remember it to this day, and it's still written in my Bible, right? It was called, what you're looking for, man. He says, what you're looking for is a fat cow. And I was like, all right, keep going. Come, keep going. I'm, I'm with you, dog. I'm with you. Hear, hear me now. Faithful, available. She can't be dating anybody teachable, she loves Jesus, and he would say, chick of the word. I wouldn't use chick, women. I wouldn't. I am so not that done. Um, but he said, of the word. And I remember the first time I was teaching on this, and I got opportunity to teach with uh, some, some college-age people about this, and I was like, yeah, and so my wife is a fat cow, right? And afterwards, Holly was like, uh-uh, never, <laughs> never. And she was pregnant with, with Noah, and it was just like, it was all bad. It was all bad. So this morning I said, hey, I'm going to use that reference again. Can I do this? And she was like, yeah, this time you can, but if you ever do that again. And I said, so that, 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 that sense there is that cannot be built. You cannot buy that. Um, you, you, you cannot, you cannot uh, buy this spirit, the spirit of Christ. It's something that is purchased for you in Christ Jesus. Um, husbands, cultivate that in your wife. Encourage that. Single men, the way you encourage our women in this congregation is stop going after only the externals. Stop talking about only the externals. Quit making jokes that are overly offensive to women. That's what she says is not funny to women. It's not. Um, if, 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 if God has given men, particularly in marriage, the, the ability to lead the way you lead is by serving, so you provide context for women to be the godly women that God has called them to be. So it takes both of us to look at Jesus. Men, married men, single men, women, married women, single women. He's calling the church ultimately to Christ. The, the last thing Peter gives here, um, submissiveness, attractiveness, it's faithfulness. He says, for this is how 
Holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So here's, here's what he's saying. He says there's holy women, meaning more than just Sarah, which we'll get to in a second. But if you go into the Old Testament and you begin to read the lives of the women that are in the Old Testament, you see these beautiful examples of godly women. Um, women who were attractive and women who were attractive in inner beauty and even who were attractive externally. In fact, you read the story of Esther, that's a very awkward story. In fact, Esther is told by her cousin, hey, this is how you're going to help the Israelites. Enter this beauty pageant, win it, marry the king, and then he's going to free us. Right? We would never do that today. And God says that, 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 that's kind of what God did there. I don't, I don't recommend that. Um, another woman, Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. She loses her husband. She moves to Israel. And, and now she's with God's people. And it, there's this guy, Boaz. He's single. He's got a nice job. She likes him. She puts herself in front of Boaz. She sneaks into his room after he's been drinking and, and uncovers his feet. I don't recommend that either. <laughs> the purpose was that Ruth, though, was faithful. And she trusted God. Um, the, the, the story that, um, that we read about, probably the, the most godly woman, it doesn't mention her name, that we read about in the Old Testament is actually in Proverbs 31. And in Proverbs, I know girls are like, oh, great, he's going to tell us we need to be impossibly beautiful and have a job and a banking account and sell, sell things, make things, have kids, other people's kids. No, that's not what I'm saying. But the Proverbs 31 woman, she does a lot. Um, it, it does say that she raises, she says she gets up early in the morning, um, she feeds her family. She feeds the servant girls she has. It says that she considers a field and she buys it. I mean, she's, she's really out doing business. Um, there's so many things that she's doing. And everyone goes, yeah, that's the woman I want to be and that's the woman I want. But what we don't realize is there is a man that's along that woman. Meaning so many guys look at it and go, that's what, that's what I'm looking for. First of all, that takes time. No one is a Proverbs 31 woman the day that they get married. In fact, I think the women are, the women in this church who have been married for 30 plus years have been walking with Jesus in their marriage. And, and what it says about that guy, it says the guy, he, he, gives, he gives freedom to his wife, meaning he creates space for her to grow in those, those gifts that she has. It says that he encourages her. That's something that men need to do to their wives to encourage them. Um, it says that he meets with the elders at the gates. That means he's a leader himself, even in the context of their community. And so their marriage seems to be a marriage where they complement one another, and there's freedom there, and there's, there's a sense of mutual submission and love and godly uh, authority submitting to Jesus there. And then Peter gives the one example he does give Sarah. And here's what he says, verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, um, this is not saying women. I know you hear that and go, wait a minute. If, this, if, we leave, if Ricardo is about to tell me that I need to call my husband Lord, I'm about to, no. Call him his name or whatever nickname you have for him, right? That's what she did. Sometimes things in the Bible are descriptive and some things are prescriptive. So prescriptive. So descriptive, this is just what happened. That's not what Peter is saying. You need to call your husband Lord. He's saying there was something about Sarah. Um, there was something about Abraham and Sarah's life. Here's what I say faithfulness is. He's not saying to women, be like Sarah. And he's not saying to men, be like Abraham. Here's why. If you ever have the opportunity to read the story of Sarah and Abraham, they did not have the exemplary life or the exemplary marriage. Um, you have crazy things that happen in their marriage. What, you have him leaving Ur, which she followed him. They were in a great, great city. It was really rich. They had a rich family. And God said, go. And so she willingly followed him because she, fought, she had faith in God. 
And then he says to her, um, hey, I'm afraid of Pharaoh, so why don't you say you're my sister and so you can sleep with Pharaoh? That's not good, that's not good in marriage ever, right? And not only that, and then she has her issues because she doesn't trust that God would bring her a child even though God said he will. And so he goes, I can't wait anymore. How about you sleep with our slave and have a kid with her? And that's exactly, you know, Abraham's like, you know, for you, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And so he does that. And then all of a sudden, when they have a kid, Sarah doesn't like Hagar. And so she abuses her. Peter's not saying this is the woman to be like. But what he is saying, and I love it when the Bible gives us stories of biblical people, men and women, because every single one of us, married and single, can relate to it. What Peter is saying is, you look at these women, their marriages were not perfect, and neither were yours. These women were not perfect, and neither you would be. Their husbands were not worthy in themselves to submit to, and neither will your husbands be. What he's saying is, even to single people, what happened with Sarah, Sarah, Sarah she felt like God had abandoned her, and yet she continued to trust in him. And God did amazing things. They were married for years and years and years, which is what I pray for our marriages. Um, what, what, what Peter is saying is, it's not be like the women, but trust like the women. He, he says this in verse 5, the women who hoped in God. Meaning the way that, the reason why Sarah was able the reason why Esther was able, the reason why Ruth and Rahab, the reason why Eve, all of these women were able to follow their husbands because first and foremost, they had faith in God. The most godly attribute of a woman is not her submissiveness and it's not her attractiveness, but it's always her faith in God. Um, the most godly attribute of a woman is not her submissiveness, is not her attractiveness, but her faith in God because when she starts there, Everything else flows from that. That she is now able to be with someone who is just as imperfect as she is because they both trust in a perfect God. Amen? Um, let, let, let me close with this. We, as a young church, many singles and many, many young marriages, we have few marriages that are, that, are, that are established and that have been walking with Jesus for a while. Hear, hear, hear me on this. Single people, marry people who love Jesus. And even then, know that your marriage will be great, just not perfect. Married people, don't quit. Don't quit. Is it hard? Absolutely. Is it hard to do what God called you to do? Absolutely. We constantly, as a church, need to be praying for each other's marriages. Um, we have men who are trying to find out what is my role. Women are trying to find out what is our role. As a pastor, and I know Tim would echo this, this is something we are constantly praying for because as our marriages go, so goes our church. Amen? Let's pray.